well, of course, you know, you can structure your film any way you want or your TV program any way you want, and it can be however many minutes you want and edited however you want. And those are specifically the films that we don't buy and won't buy. You know, like, when the executive, like, says all that, then you cut back to Watkins and him just, like, staring at the mono form. You're like, yeah, he's fucking, he's right, you know? The problem is, it's just, like, when you just see Watkins, you're like, dude, this is cringe, man. Like, calm down, you know? Like, <laughs> but then the executive comes in and it's like, oh, fuck, dude, you know? Yeah. Like, it's brutal. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. We clear the streets along this route, deploy our men, and create an impassable barrier. A gauntlet, if you will. He will have a chance. I challenge you to a duel. It's hot out there. Let's, we all walk out there. Very, very, very hot. Open fire! Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Gauntlet. My name is Ryan Saunders. I'm one of your hosts. And with me today, as always, are... Eric Marsh. And... Andrew Stasiulis. The Gauntlet is a weekly double feature podcast in which one of the three of us picks a theme for the week and the other two program films that are in response to that theme, in reaction to it, or just somewhat preoccupied with it. We, we most frequently adhere to the theme and occasionally we buck up against it in, in some interesting ways. And, you know, I gotta say, I think there was like a little bit of bucking this week, but it is truly fascinating bucking. And I think it befits the theme quite well. So I, I, I chose the theme this week, and the the theme itself is, just to get it out of the way, are international road movies. So road movies that aren't shot in the United States and preoccupied with the myth of the American road, because that is something that is so canonical in literature, filmmaking, anything, right? And even just driving around this country, you're always thinking about it, you know, the, the myths of America and the open road and the freedom that's associated with it. So instead, I challenge them, you know, bring me some films that are, you know, f- featuring international roads. And I got to say that that freedom we associate with the American road uh, doesn't translate as much, you know, on, on some of these roads, at least the two roads we have this week. I think we have like a decisive lack of, um, of freedom and the way it feels to tra- <laughs> traverse these, these two roads. Um, I love driving. I love driving long distances. It's very relaxing for me. Molly and I, you know, when we went on our honeymoon, we we drove all around the country for three weeks. And like, that's, you know, for us, that's the idea of a good time. I love hitting the, hitting the road. And I've always loved road movies. One of the reasons I like them so much is because you can see, I just love location filmmaking. So just like kind of checking in and, you know, seeing all these different places and how they all relate to each other in terms of the spine. And that's another thing that both of these films do in um, some interesting ways. But so let's, yeah, let's let's get into it. I do want to immediately call out something exciting before either of you uh, will probably address it in your theme, but in a, in a way that's spectacularly purely fit for the gauntlet. Um, you know, we've often said we have a real preoccupation with the year 1974, one of our, our favorite years uh, for cinema. And funny enough, Marsh's film was actually shot in 1974, although not released 
that year. I'll let him describe the year it actually came out. And Andy's film, though a film from 1990, takes place in 1974. <laughs> so another bit of interesting synchronicity here. I, yes. It's one of those real magical double features where I can't believe it wasn't uh, prepped in the essay format before it even arrived uh, across my desk here here at the gauntlet so so bravo right off the bat and uh let's let's hit the road uh tell me about where we went marsh you had the earlier film uh so kick us off yeah well you know my initial instinct when i was sort of looking into different kinds of movies was to look to latin america uh and specifically because there's been a sort of uh, cycle of road movies that uh, proliferated in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, obviously, things like Itumama Tambien and the Motorcycle Diaries or like, you know, the sort of the most high profile examples of that kind of thing. But I'm thinking, you know, hell, Latin America, it's a big place, you know, uh, they got roads down there. Let's see what let's see what's going on. And uh, <laughs> as I often as I often do uh, and reveal on this podcast, I'm always trying to like reverse engineer what what the other person is picking. And so when Andy made his pick, uh, I was hovering around a number of, of Latin American road movies. Uh, and when he made his pick, it made me go to Brazil uh, for obvious reasons, right? And so the film I chose was, is, Irisema Uma Transa Amazonica from 1974 or 1976, or 1980, <laughs> depending on who you ask. Uh, this film is, yeah, sort of atypical in that it's a, an earlier example of a, a Latin American road movie, you know, b before the 90s and beyond. Uh, and it's something of a, something of a, like, I guess, uh, hybrid fiction documentary, as we've often talked about on this show. Uh, the film was directed by Jorge Badansky and Orlando Senna, and it is a Brazilian-West German co-production uh, because Badansky left Brazil because of the military coup, uh, who shut down the film school. So he went to Germany and studied film in Germany at the uh, film school run by Alexander Kluge. And eventually, you know, he came back to Brazil and uh, made this film under the influence, basically, of, they said, uh, Jean Rouch and John Cassavetes were their sort of major influences in, in how they approached this material. Now, I see it. You, you mentioned, right, the myth of the road in America. Uh, these, both of our films, I think, and this film in particular, deals with, you know, national Brazilian myths as they relate uh, to the road as well. And while it's uh, obviously very different uh, from the American road movie, it's still sort of dealing with uh, national identity. And in fact, this film makes a whole lot more sense uh, when you read about its source material, uh, which is uh, Erisema by Jose de Alencar, which was published in 1865. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but it's a work of colonial literature. Being adapted now in the 70s as this like shaggy, uh, verite-esque sort of crazy road movie. And so they're they're sort of like, uh, they're, you know, they're challenging this sort of canonical mm -hmm. 
Brazilian text and applying it to the modern day. And so, yes, the film features the Trans-Amazon Highway, which was one of the centerpieces of the Brazil uh, military dictatorship, right? They're like, we're the military, we're in charge now, we're gonna bring you roads, right? Uh, but really they were building roads to like police people more and to exploit their resources, right? And so the film is is dealing with that and it centers around the titular character, Irasema, who is, uh, appears out of the Amazon forest at the beginning of the film, and as we follow her into a festival, she sort of slips into a life of sex work, uh, ultimately taking up uh, <laughs> in a truck with this white guy uh, named Tiao. Brazil Grande, uh, and he sort of, uh, well, we'll get into it, but yeah, he's this guy, <laughs> he's this truck driver who loves the open road and extols them and the virtues of this progress, quote unquote, right? So uh, that's sort of the setup. It's a, it's a, I, I found it to be a, a really striking movie, uh, and the way that it moves is very strange because there are these just like epic narrative gaps as we just like slide through these landscapes. Uh, very interesting stuff. So we'll we'll get into it. Um, and yes, the film was banned in Brazil, of course. Uh, it played at the Cannes Film Festival in 1976, ultimately screening in Brazil in 1980. Uh, so it had a very uh, arduous journey, just like our characters on that. Uh, mostly unpaved road, which by the way, Still, lots of it is unpaved to this day. So, mm. yeah, that, yeah, that's it. Hell, hell of a bumpy <laughs> road. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and it's funny, Andy. Your film also challenges uh, and you know investigates a, a canonical text that that being about a thousand years of Portuguese history. So, t- tell us a little bit about the film that that you brought. Well, when I was looking at various titles and possibilities, um, you know, nothing was really leaping out at me. I, I was, you know, going through some things that I'd already seen and, and, and in some cases even trying to recall, like, how much road is in there, you know? And then I was like, <laughs> well, maybe I'm not super concerned about that. So I, I, I just sort of, like, went back to the drawing board and, and was looking for something to really leap out at me. And sure enough, uh, uh, one did. And, and I, I have to say, um, it, it, it may be my new favorite movie. I mean, it's really, when we, when we get into it, I, I think, uh, it should become, um, very obvious to savvy listeners why this movie struck me so hard. And, uh, I just sort of threw it to Marsh and was just like, Look, I know this might not exactly be a road film, but it sounds like people are going to be on the road in in a certain respect. And it also just sounds like we need to see this goddamn movie, especially yeah. as Marsh was like, <laughs> I've been meaning to, I've, it's, I've got the, the file, I'm waiting. So it was just like, yeah, not exactly the, the quintessential idea of a road movie. And I am a big fan of road films, but there is a road. It is long, it is arduous, um, and uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, it really is uh, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, so I might as well just bring it out. <laughs> the film is called No, or Non, 
the, or <laughs> it's, it's oh wait, let me try that again. The film is called No or The Vain Glory of Command, aka No or The Vain Glory of Leading, depending on which translation you sort mm. of look at. But I, I think I like. Uh, the vainglory of command more so yeah. than than leading. The film is directed by the great Manuel de Oliveira, and I have to admit, this started to come up pre 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 recording, and I I was like, wait, before I answer this question, I've got to just like kind of get into it a little bit in my intro. So I have a confession to make. This is my first film by Oliveira I've ever seen. This is a filmmaker I am very familiar with. It's a filmmaker who has always been there as like, yeah. I gotta get into this guy's films. I've gotta dig in there. There's so many. Uh, the guy was making movies for what? Like 80 years, basically? On and off, yeah. on and off. I mean, this was yeah. a dude who who made, I think, his first film in like, what, the, the late 40s? Or was it 50s? Well, that was his first feature. He actually made some shorts in the early 30s and had worked on films during the silent era. Yes. Yeah. He wow. Was, uh, he was actually, he acted in the first Portuguese talkie. Wow. True. Yeah. I knew he was like, a, he <laughs> started as like, was. yeah, he was like, I'm going to be yeah. an actor. And then, uh, again, a fascinating life, which I'm familiar with. I mean, he also was a race car driver, I think, at a certain point, and a businessman. Like, he's everything. And on top of that, uh, he was making movies into his hundreds, basically. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. I well mean, over his hundreds. Well over his hundreds. Uh, um, and, and this film. In fact, was made in 1990 when he was 82, and my God, that blows me away. We did an episode a few weeks back, or maybe months back at this point, on octogenarian cinema, and holy shit, uh, boy, the, the old kids can play, and this film is, is certainly a showcase for that. It's a hard film to describe on a certain level because I, I feel there's so many intricacies to it. It is jam-packed uh, with with ideas and concepts and and historical epochs in its two-hour running time. So I'll do my best here, but. Basically, this film is about a group of soldiers on the road. They are journeying across one of Portugal's, in the film it's nameless, but it's one of Portugal's uh, uh, colonies in Africa. So perhaps Mozambique, perhaps Angola. Uh, in 1974, the last year of the Salazar fascist regime just before it would be toppled by their carnation revolution. And on this journey, these soldiers are, are headed off to some sort of fob, some, some base out in the middle of nowhere. And on their, their road trip, uh, they try to kill the boredom a little bit with some, some chatter, some talk. This talk turns to the history of Portugal and their lieutenant, Lieutenant Cabrita, who was, we discover in the film, prior to his military service, studying to be a historian, a, a, a professor of history. He has a lot to say about the history of Portugal's military follies. And on this journey, we'll cover, as Ryan said, uh, well over a thousand years of mostly 
Portugal's defeats as a flailing, fledgling, wannabe uh, military superpower. The movie is is a, a, an actual journey into the past as well, because cutting, intercutting through this road trip, we do go into these various times, and my goodness gracious, we get to see quite a few epic battles uh, uh, from all the way back to the Romans. I mean, man, this movie is is unbelievable. I, I mean, I, it's, 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 I, I'm losing my, my, my train of thought here because I'm so overwhelmed by it. And I know we've talked on this pod how sometimes it's, it's way more difficult to talk about something that you are in awe of, you know, something that you find to be like a truly like brilliant work of art. And, and that really is the case with this film. It's a strange experience for me as well because, you know, we have... We've, um, we've mentioned this on the pod, and, and some people probably know that Marsh and I made our own sort of strange, odyssey-like, surreal war film at a certain point in our lives. And I was like having this strange experience watching this film and seeing certain things that basically like, like shots even, that, that, that are in our movie, but neither of us had seen this movie, or at the time I think of making it, <laughs> even knew anything about this movie. I mean, it was it was a very strange cosmic experience to, to watch this and have this sense of deja vu uh, with this movie. And and I, I, I was really, really like struck by it throughout. So yeah, I mean, it's not exactly a road film, but it is people on the road and, and uh, I, 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 I'm assuming you both uh, enjoyed it as much as I did, and I think we're going to have a blast drawing a lot of connections between the two films uh, today because there are a lot. That's uh, no, or the vain glory of command. Thank you. Yes, thank you both. Um, where to begin? Both of these films are, are really remarkable. And I think maybe one of the easiest entry points that we could talk a little bit about at the beginning here is what kind of makes them feel very distinct from American road movies, because that was the sort of genesis of the prompt. And maybe it'd be productive to, to think about that a little bit, because in prep for fun, I, you know, I finished something I was reading and I thought, oh, I've got John Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie on my shelf, which is the you know, presented as, as nonfiction, but pretty much in a, just like a fictionalized account of John Steinbeck traveling across the American countryside with his dog. Um, and he's, he's like gloating throughout so much of it so far. I'm like not totally on its wavelength, but it does capture something that is present in both of these films, albeit remarkably different. And at the beginning of John Steinbeck's trip, and he's hanging out with his camper van, and he visits people, and they, he says, Every person he talked to would say, where are you going with that? And he would say, oh, I'm driving around. I'm just driving. And they all immediately would respond, ah, I wish I could be doing that right now. Everyone wants to leave behind what they have and hit that road and feel that freedom. There's a little bit of that in both of these films. Very explicitly in Arasima, where a character does say they want to hit the road, they want to get out of the, the the city that they're stuck in. And then in your film, Andy, there's a little bit of it. There's this sense of they they hate standing still and would rather be on the move 
and moving instead of being stuck in that soul-crushing boredom of waiting in, in the military. But these films take it a step farther than the American Road movie because it's not freedom <laughs> that they find. Both films no. are roads <laughs> to doom, roads to, roads to inevitable defeat and sadness because these roads aren't paths of freedom. They are roads that are still a part of systems and people are forever trapped in those systems. And I think that that's something very interesting that both of these films are doing as it relates to what the road maybe could be. Um, because there are even characters that think about the road like they do in America, uh, but then the films directly attack that notion. Well, I would say, though, to that end, to that point you're making, I, I think also there's a, an, um, an important distinction, though, to be made within, like, American road films with, like, the road films of the 70s. Because a lot sure. of American road films from the 70s, I think... of course capture a, a very similar spirit to, to both of these films. And I think there's an obvious temporal connection there with the film that, that Mars chose being made in the mid-70s. But, you know, I think about so many road films like Vanishing Point or Easy Rider or, you know, even if you want to argue... Two-Lane Blacktop. Two-Lane Blacktop or Electric Glide and Blue, if you consider that a road film, where a lot of those characters, the point is that sort of like the freedom of the American road is a myth. False dream. It, it no longer exists, certainly in the way that it had been historically conceived. But I do think that, yes, that is something obviously very specific to where also America was in the 70s, coming out of Vietnam, right. post-Watergate, the sense that like that open road is is closed, right? The frontier is is fully welly uh, dead by by that point in time. Yeah. In some of my research, I found, you know, scholars talking about the the negative road movie or the counter road movie, uh, which is something that came up in connection with Latin American road movies because, right, it's, it's ultimately tied to economics, right? And so if your characters are, like, poor, uh, it's, you know, about them trying to get away, but, like, they can't, right? And I think we definitely see uh, that element, that, like, counter road movie element in both movies where in Irasima, it's like, you know, she's just sort of like wandering, you know, just wandering, you know, as this like displaced indigenous person. And then in, you know, No or the Vainglory of Command, I mean, they're just, they're doomed to follow that path that the the, the brass has put them on into, like you said, that, that sort of system, right? And so the roads in both of these movies, like, represent exploitation they represent colonization they represent uh evil modernity not good modernity right mm -hmm. and inevitable defeat sure yeah I, I i think that when i when i did a um i actually put together a a, a couple of years ago um a a screening series at the music box on the road film and right uh, we had mostly kind of focused on like 70s American films. And, and uh, I was trying to explain just that idea that you're bringing up, Marsh, of, of these two very distinct views of the road. And I, I said that, you know, in, in, in I think the, the initial conception,
conception of like the road is freedom. I always say it's about characters who who um, are lost and through the road they find something. But in that, I guess as you you described it, the counter road film, I would always say to them, this is about people who have uh, found something and then through their journey they lose it. And I think that that that's a really good example of of what's going on in in these films. Um, there's this initial sense of, oh, okay, like this is this is this path is going to lead to good things for us, right? Or at the very least, like success in whatever it is we're looking for. In the case of uh, Irasuma, right? It's her. It's her elevation. It's her. It's her. Uh, opportunity to sort of like change her status in life to get um uh work to get uh, a better a better life and i think in the case of known or the vainglory of command it's this sense of of patriotism of of belonging to portugal and its long military tradition which at first a lot of the soldiers are very proud of until cabrita comes in and is like well hang on a second let's Let's go all the way back to the Romans. Let's really measure this <laughs> patriotism and this proud military tradition that we are now taking part in. It might not look actually as as glorious as you think it is, right? So that in a in a way, again, both of these characters through their journey um, encounter disillusionment. They lose something. They lose their their innocence. They lose their pride, maybe. They lose their 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 individualism. They lose their 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 humanity on a certain level. Yeah, because both films are interested in that idea of the road bringing a nation together in its myth, and then dismantling that entirely once we traverse that road. In Irasima, the idea is that they are bringing industry across Brazil, they are connecting poor communities to the larger cities, and instead, all we see when we travel down these roads are deforestation, apocalyptic images of wildfire, Exploitation, yeah. Constant exploitation for the poor. And then in Nowhere the Vainglory of Command, we have this idea of a road that is our national history, and it's something that ties our history together and our project and that we are always soldiering forward with this idea of nationalism in our minds. But then it gets revealed that along all these stops on this road, there is just defeat after defeat for making the same mistakes in the idea of nationalism. Yeah. And even, and even too, like taking it, uh, you know, even further with this this idea of like colonialism and and the colonies the soldiers very early on when they when this conversation is sort of beginning in known you know uh, they're they're like talking about like well why are we here like we're we're our colonies benefit these people it brings progress to them right there used to be warring tribes but because of our presence those wars have stopped. Yeah, they're you know? all united against us. Yeah, and that's what Cabrito points out. You know, it's like, well, first of all, we need to define the word benefit because you've thrown out that <laughs> word, you know? Like, how does this really truly benefit them and how does it really truly benefit us? 
it doesn't is essentially the short answer to what will be, of course, a much longer answer throughout this, this film. This idea that, you know, we've been sold this idea that, that there's going to be progress or that we're making progress or that these roads we have, we have laid out are, are yes, connections, but, but more than anything, it is just simply the opposite of that disconnection is, is more defined by these roads. And I think, you know, it's very interesting that both films open with nature, you know, because they're so heavily going to be thinking about, you know, that idea, the idea of these, these roads and industry and, and patriotism and nationalism, right? In non, we open with this like unbelievably almost like trippy uh, sort of like, circle around a gigantic tree yeah you know the fucking circle of history or whatever we're like entering into it to then be contrasted with like yeah all these dopes on the back of a truck and like electronic music playing with like a drum beat crazy use of like contemporary score with like historical images in this movie is is just like unbelievable oh yeah and we're in it immediately looking at this tree and in Hiroshima it's like we're in the Amazon and we come out of the trees on this boat with her and all these other people and they're like you know uh, moving around huge baskets of berries you know and then ultimately they go to the port they go to the capital they go to the city and she sort of gets lost in the crowd but I think they're both purposefully situating like nature up front to go like again what is this about what are these movies about right what we do to nature how we violate it mm-hmm. you know yeah and there's like a a, a a really great quality as well to the the, the two openings because as you've described the visuals you know in the case of non like we we then hear the roaring of this truck which seems like a beastly obscenity and that anachronistic music you've described uh, and in in Irasima, uh, it's it's it slowly fades into the soundtrack. We hear this like this this staccato, very like this this chopping kind of sound. And yeah. as it builds, we discover it's the engine of this boat, which almost sounds like a like a helicopter, right? And it is just cutting through that soundtrack and then we get also of course this this radio this radio playing popular music and then also uh, a, a series of messages to to the people of Brazil to the people yeah. of the like hinterland dude you yeah, know dude. Like dispatch from the from yeah. the dictator's office <laughs> yeah. or whatever it's, it's like the radio segment's like hello hinterland I think <laughs> and it's just all these messages that people are like calling in to the radio station to like say like, hey, broadcast this message so that someone can hear this hundreds of miles away or whatever, right? They're like these long distance messages that are so horrifying compared to like the jovial quality in which they're being delivered. It's like, hello, hello from, from, you know, Jose. Uh, He says that uh, mother had her leg amputated, but she's okay, (laughs) right? Like the, the messages are terrifying. That again, speak to like, the, like the brutality of like I think like modernity again and the way that like people are being like chewed up and spit out and and again it's like it's almost apocalyptic the way these messages are being delivered the, the picture of the hinterland seems to be one in great distress <laughs> para os festejos profanos e religiosos 
que realização durante o Sírio de Arapixi, dia 6 do Corrente, acompanhado pelo Frei Feliciano. Agradece pela diretoria Raimundo Barbosa das Neves, presidente. Well, thinking about that apocalyptic look at the land and the land being in distress, it does remind me of a quote that's pretty late in Irasima, where someone says, the land belongs to the road, which is a really wild thing to think about and, and just to say, especially in the midst of this film, that idea of the land itself belonging to the road. And in, when you'd think normally, maybe it would be the other way around. Mm -hmm. that the road should be part of the land, something that's like naturally something that we can traverse and make it a part of. But instead, the land belonging to the road sounds like this violation. Yeah. And that's why it's so interesting that this road we're taking in No or the Vainglory of Command is not a road in Portugal. It is, even though all the stops along the way are the national history of Portugal, the road itself they're driving down is presumably in Angola. And that contradiction, it just fires off all these things in my brain when I'm thinking about the land belongs to the road. And this idea that we take this road in another country, and then because of that, it belongs to us. And us as the colonizers, this is our road. This is not their road. This is our national myth. And this is what the road symbolizes for our nation and what just all of us it unifies us it's everything we believe in well in in that case right it's it's essentially saying the the road itself belongs regardless of where it was laid to the people who cut that road and now police that road like that's right who it belongs to you know it doesn't belong to the people it doesn't belong to the land it belongs to whatever whatever authority is 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 in charge of that stretch of road or highway or street and as uh, Ryan and I learned recently we started watching Rasan the journey by Peter Watkins and in the second part uh, he, he goes to Mozambique and he talks about when Portugal uh, left Mozambique how they took uh, every single person who could like operate anything uh, out of the country and sabotaged everything so that they had nothing yeah. uh, in the turnover and that that was a deliberate act oh, you know for sure. yeah. uh, which those is... roads belonged to Portugal <laughs> yeah, exactly. we, that's our yeah. infrastructure uh, we're taking it with yeah. us ever heard of the fifth empire well watch this movie and you'll learn all about it you know I mean dude we did the exact same shit when we pulled out of Afghanistan like all the bases we built like there's horrifying stories when we handed it over to the Afghan National Army and they went into like our military bases and they're like they stripped out the fucking electrical they stripped out the wiring they took the copper pipes with them i mean like we stripped it fucking bare we're like all right fine have it it's yours you know we're done here we're taking our air conditioners with us man like yeah it's 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 brutal you know but it's also something like it made me like recall a little bit of my virilio when when he when he wrote about in in speed and politics the street the idea of the road especially in relation to states and state authority you know, and he talked about how classically, historically speaking, the idea of the street, the road, is that it was a meeting place for people. It was a place to, to get together. Uh, again, a, a space of connection. But the key with, like, modern authority is always clearing the streets, keeping the streets cleared. If you, as a state authority, suddenly have hundreds of people in your street, 
it's a bad thing for you. You've got to put up signs. You've got to block people off. You've got to get riot police out here to, to clear the streets. The street is now, for the state, a thing that is heavily policed. Uh, the very idea of speed limits, right? I mean, you could take that to the highest level of, again, authority, some sort of state which says, this road does not belong to the people, this road belongs to us, to the state, to Portugal, to Brazil, to whoever, to Richard the national J. police. Daly. Yeah, and, and again, there's that <laughs> there's that scene in uh, Irasima where there's like a, a, a procession going on. Uh, uh, I'm assuming a religious pr procession of some kind. Yeah, it's kind. the great festival of Our Lady Nazareth, and it's going on all week. And, and if you recall, <laughs> there's so much emphasis in that on, like, the police and the military, like, blocking off certain sections of it, and then there's this, like, colonel of the state police being interviewed, and he's just basically talking about how Order. well... Yes, the order is the security of the event, how how well they've been able to move the procession along by managing the people and keeping them off of this street. Again, it's the same idea. The road and the streets do not belong to the people. This celebration is, of course, one sanctioned by the National Guard yeah. or whoever. Sure, yeah, church and fucking military, you know? And like, I mean, hey, <laughs> we were just with Cough and Joe. We just did go over some of this stuff, you <laughs> yeah. know? Oh, yeah. uh, right? Uh, and yeah, like so that stuff on the streets in Rio uh, is is really wonderful. And it's, you know, uh, the, the strength of the Cinema Verite style here where they're sneaking shots of... Uh, you know the the military, right? They're not you know getting lights and a setup in this in this festival. You know they're they're running and gunning, and it has a lot of uh, that flavor to it, which is really nice. But also, right, the film is constantly trying to frame everything in the context of the military dictatorship, whether it's the radio address or how people are being corralled. Like, what was going on with the rope yeah. uh, in that sequence? Like keeping the I, keeping the streets yeah, clear, you man. Know? Like, what yeah. the? They had some crazy tactics going on you know yeah did they like think those groups of people were gonna climb on those floats full of like little children dressed as angels yeah yeah they're, they're pending <laughs> like cattle yeah yeah no that sequence is really striking and that's something that's so interesting that that separates both of these films is the is the style of course Ooh. uh films that are you know, preoccupied with a lot of similar things, having radically different styles in service of, of similar ends. And, you know, you mentioned, right, like, oh, they're shooting that during this big festival. You know, they're not trying to do any setups or anything. Throughout Irasima, even in what seems like could be the most controlled of environments, small locations outside a home or at a nightclub, it never feels like they had any control over reality invading their set. Even in the simplest of setups, there are people looking at the camera, and it's just never a concern of the filmmaking style. Hey, people also thing... looking at the camera in Oliveira's film, but in a very well, different yes. way. Yeah. <laughs> in a very different way. <laughs> yes, yes. But no, it, it almost, it. it's one of those movies where it never feels like anybody's acting, and yet everybody's acting. It's like such a peculiar mix. Well, we should point out that there's one professional actor in the film, and that's the yes. dynamic. Uh, Paulo Cesar Perio uh, plays Chow, the truck driver who loves the road. 
road mm-hmm. who loves all this shit, who's just like this hustler who won't shut up. And once I saw in an interview that they were like, oh yeah, we were into like Cassavetes and Rouge or whatever. I'm like, all right, this movie is this guy giving like a John Cassavetes performance. Mm-hmm. Like he's yep. doing some like Ben Gazzara shtick, yeah. you know? And then everyone else is just like completely bewildered because they're just real people. Right. And that's like the dynamic at play pretty yep. much throughout. Yeah. And also because of his like energy, uh, he's there to like keep these conversations flowing. Yeah. I mean, he's pulling everybody in. He's he's really like a, a a second director or a third director, I guess in this case, where he's sort of managing what's going on in front of the camera. That's really his kind of job. And it's interesting too that I, I noticed one particular moment where like you said, Ryan, that that like invasion where it's it's a bit later in the film when when he has uh, Chow and and uh, Irasima have uh, they've stopped at like this kind of like small dingy little roadside bar or something like that yeah and there's a, a conversation that's taking place and there's a moment that I I clocked where there's just these two like poor men who are like talking about the road and they're talking about this progress quote progress that's being made and they're getting kind of heated they're getting kind of upset and really like describing the corruption basically describing about how like nah this place is going to close soon like you know the land this land that is supposed to exist like when we buy it some rich guy comes along and suddenly the government just gives it to him and they're getting mad and you could see they're looking at the people behind the camera they're talking to the directors and the crew and suddenly chow like slides in and basically like gets in their eye line. So to, I think, create, again, this illusion that like, nah, th- th- this is a conversation happening between these people, not just us and, you know, like the crew and, and these people. And then like Chow kind of comes in and is like, yeah, yeah, totally, I agree with you. But it's like, I noticed that that was a moment where clearly yeah. they had to be like, get into the frame, like get in here between the camera and these guys because they were like, they were addressing the camera itself. Like, yeah, the guy playing Chow, just talk about an all time performance. <laughs> that guy being so on the wavelength of this movie and knowing exactly what his character was supposed to represent. He felt like a co director. It's already a co directed film. And exactly what you described, Andy, the way he kind of inserts himself in at the proper moments, knows how to convey this realistic disgust with his character at the opportune moments and humanity at others it's it's a fascinating performance it's like when uh, Jean-Marie Volante plays a fascist cop you know this actor was an atheist and a communist so playing this total like chauvinist pig who who loves the dictatorship and the roads yeah. so he can truck his bullshit uh, it, it makes total sense right he, he totally like gets this character from the inside out oh, right yeah. or in the reverse way but I learned about him that he is not only still alive but has conducted a lifelong long campaign to remove Christ the Redeemer because it ruins the beauty of nature. And he's still <laughs> trying to get it removed. So Salute, dude. Respect. Yeah, <laughs> this, this very cool guy. Yeah, I could tell. Um, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's really enjoying the character he's playing. Oh, yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's having a blast. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, talking about all the direct address in Irasima, there is uh, plenty of direct address in No or the Vainglory of Command. But again, delivered to us in such a radically different way. I was so struck by the way this movie looks. I was struck by every element of No or the Vainglory of Command. It is also one of the best films I've, I've ever seen. But w- one thing I kept thinking about while watching it, and it relates to just my fascination with De Oliveira is 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 why I brought up that he was around during the silent era working in the industry. To me, the visual style of Nowhere the Vainglory of Command looks like a silent movie at so many moments, especially the battles mm-hmm. and the way he does these tableaus. And I don't know if it's because we just watched um The Big Parade. Uh, the big, I was going to say the big command. Yeah. No, that's the last command. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, ju- because we just watched the big parade, it feels very present in my mind. But whenever we had these close-ups, I don't know. It just, it had that quality of a silent movie when people look at the camera. And when we have these images of men on horseback standing still as the sun is setting. And it's just, th- to think about this guy in his, in his 80s in the 90s making this movie. I, I've also only seen a handful. I've only seen like two of his movies before. I believe the ones I've seen are from 78 and 1980. So really like a different phase of his career. Because when people talk about him, it is it is like in fits and starts. He has like really fertile periods. I know in the 90s, like when he was in his 80s, some people say like, oh, that's the great shit, you know? But he made movies until he was like 103. Yeah. Um, and he, his last feature I know came out in 2012. And to think of someone who has been involved with cinema very nearly since the beginning, like shooting stuff into the 21st century, and then here's one of his treaties in 1990 about the history of Portugal, but also then engaging with the idea of what movies even look like and what movies can do with that youthful octogenarian Mm -hmm. spirit that we found in Skolomovsky with E.O., it's just the best shit. I, I, I but oh, just yeah. the way this movie looks is is so striking. Yeah, it's like it's 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 otherworldly, you know. Like it really has this uncanny feeling throughout the way it's so still, you know. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the tableaus or even just the characters in their lengthy conversations, uh, and I, I kept thinking too. You're gonna guys are gonna find this funny, but I was thinking about our great outdoors or at the lake episode uh, (laughs) while watching this movie. Because uh, if you remember, that was the premise on which uh, I believe Ryan brought uh, the passionate friends, uh, which is someone going to a lake and then remembering, you know? And I was like, Mm -hmm. this actually has the same structure where these guys are like on a road trip, but they're just remembering, but they're remembering not things that happened to them, but right this this history, which is then presented to us in not abstract but highly stylized sort of presentations, uh, and and God, there's a, there's yeah. like an even further uncanny quality because it's it's also. Um, and and again, it's the way he's delivering it and the way he's filming it. It took me quite a while, and obviously like makeup and costumes had something to do with it, but like it took me a while to realize that it was basically all the soldiers in all those historical episodes as well. It also took me some time too. So there is this, again, like, you know, I, I, 
it's like striking is the it's like one of the most like vague words you could try to use because it's like every experience uh every scene in this movie it's like you're just struck by something you're you're looking at the shot you're you're looking very closely at it even when it is just a single soldier's face, like looking directly into the camera and, and sighing. There's so much information that, that is being delivered, but it's being presented to us in a way that allows us to, to like immerse ourselves in it, to, to think, to draw connections. And, and it's, it's just so, so dreamlike almost the whole experience, because yes, it's rooting the story in this like, material experience these soldiers and and you know a specific time period and and they're traveling on this mission but again because of the direct address because of the the stillness and the tableaus and because of these characters like recycling in all these various eras and then suddenly drifting into like total fantasia <laughs> like i mean we'll yeah. get there but like you know <laughs> w- when suddenly the musical number starts i mean it is like you are in, in a way that i i thought of like with with ruiz where you're suddenly like okay where does the the where does the real begin and and the dream end or i guess vice versa like are these stories within stories are 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 these the same guys like is it the same people like they're they're not separate it's it's reincarnations like i mean and obviously that's the idea but it's again it it isn't telegraphed in a way like we have to we have to open ourselves to it so so that we can kind of experience it he doesn't like for for as talky and wordy and philosophical as this film is and is packed with concepts and ideas it really like I'm struggling for the word, but it, it's like it it doesn't like demand itself, you know. It, well, I think let me maybe tease this out because you know a lot of people comment have commented on some of his films, if not you know, a lot of them, having an educational quality or an educative quality, right? That asks of the viewer to connect the dots to participate to look to learn right like he's gonna lay out his whole philosophy which he's doing here right uh this is Oliveira dishing on (laughs) dishing on you know portuguese history obviously he's even talking to us directly through the soldiers and also it's not just his perspective many different perspectives enter these discussions right of the portuguese national identity but uh you know, I know Deleuze commented on c- comparing him to Rossellini and Godard in those sort of like educational kind of approaches to cinema on top of it also being, yeah, this totally fucking whacked out, <laughs> stylized, you know, history memory jam. Because yeah. you could like <laughs> you could make an argument that this is just like the, the wildest, craziest essay film you've ever fucking seen, you right. know, but but it's like it's so much more than than that. But it is doing that that similar kind of process you're describing of of introducing a thesis and then exploring that thesis through various presentations, not, I would argue, representations, because that's very important in in the battle sequence. He the battle sequences. He he's not mm-hmm. trying to say this is exactly what it was like. This is of course 
an idea of war, an idea of history, an idea of of the Romans, right? It isn't uh, an attempt at saying this is exactly what it was. This is this is a, 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 a again like a, a dream like vision yeah. of of history. There's this interesting juxtaposition then with the educational quality of the discourse, but then the stylization in and the way it engages with history feeling instead, like you're saying, instead of representation, more explorations of myth and even literature and art and how we think about history that way. I mean, as you hinted at, there is an entire musical interlude in the middle of the film that I'm pretty sure is, is trying to an, adapt an opera that is also like an, right, just like an interpretation of Portuguese history. And then there are other moments in the film, especially with the early battles. I mean, we have things that are like medieval romances, but then we have some of the stuff with the Romans just because of it feels like sword and sandal or sword and sorcery ethics. You know, it's just missing a little bit of magic to push it over the edge. Mm -hmm. And to me, because of the way he shoots it and how some of those moments feel like silent film, he's engaging with film genre in a way to make this discourse even more engaging. Because I also thought that when there is all this direct address and this discussion of history, I still found it generally very palatable and and easy to follow. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I don't have this like foundational knowledge of Portuguese history, especially this far back. But this never felt like a cold film where it was, you know, overly challenging to engage with. Because the other two films of his I've seen, and I'm even blanking on what they are right now, uh, I did feel that. Um, one of them's like four hours long, and it is it's pretty Breckian, you know, it's, <laughs> it's pretty ruthless. And this movie is accessible, but so complex. And that's, that's really what I walked away from while watching it was, I felt like I was floating through history, art, literature, various genres all throughout, um, on the road that the film is taking us on. Yeah. And I think again, like that's, that's what makes this such like a, a an incredibly rewarding film to engage with because, you know, if you, if you just like read the description, you might kind of be like, well, what, that's fucking like some, some history thing, like uh, for Portugal, like, I don't know, I don't know shit about Portuguese history. I'm not even interested really, but, <laughs> but, but the ideas become so much bigger they become so much grander they become and I, I sometimes like really hate using this word because I think it's like it's like cheap and it's often what people like describe Star Wars as but it's like it becomes like universal in its in its sure. exploration of this Portuguese history like as much as this is Portugal's history it's our history it, it, it these 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 colonial soldiers could be americans they could be french they could be italian and spanish and in fact there is like a really really like brilliant moment in one of the later battles that is basically like you know um i think it's the battle of 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 alcazar kibir which which again don't worry about it folks but like it's it's this like crusade where the the king of Portugal decided like um, I'm going back to yeah Sebastian the the virgin the virgin Sebastian decides I'm going <laughs> to go back and get Morocco and he leads a multinational force and there's this amazing uh, prelude to the battle where he you know they're sort of like hey can you kind of rouse the troops and he goes along his entire line delivering these messages but like each segment of the troops are from some different 
like region of Europe, some different nationality, and he'll say something, and then a translator will have to turn around and translate it to the Italian soldiers, the German soldiers, the Spanish soldiers, right? Courage, alemães. Daqui ninguém sai até nova ordem. Like, again, it's this idea of, of these kinds of conquests and these failures, ultimately, that he's pointing out, are failures of, of humanity. They're, they're failures that belong to all of us throughout history, not just Portugal. Man, in a time when people are so obsessed with franchises and multiverses, I will say, I wish we lived in a multiverse where this movie was a part of a uh, franchise. It is. There's, there's more overlap with other Oliveira films of the content of this film. Oh Just FYI. Oh. Well, I, I meant more specifically what Andy was hinting at, where like this movie could be an American... The non-verse. An American film about you know the American colonial project. It would be amazing if there were... If they made this movie like every, like every country that had <laughs> colonies, like some some leftist made a version of this movie. Like I wish there was a version of this for for England, for us, for well, just everybody. It's gonna take a long time before Americans openly admit defeat, like all the guys in this movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I think that that is key to this film. That I would say would separate it. Like on one level, it's universal, and on another level, it's about all the defeated nations of the world. So everyone but the United the yeah. United States and, sure. and the various, you know, whatever. But that's what, what Portugal here and what Oliveira is trying to, to wrestle with, right? Portugal was once a great kingdom. They had all these navigators, right? They wrote fucking mm-hmm. operas about Vasco da Gama, right? Which we see. Um, but they're... That's over. That's old fucking news. That's Oliveira's, you know, history jam, right? They're just a small little country in Europe with a bunch of other small little countries, you know? Are you listening, England? (laughs) (laughs) But it is important, too, to, to point out that, you know, through this... This, you know, he's he's often described, you read like a description of the film as like a, a, a professor, right? Like the, the lieutenant professor, right? The, the historian mm-hmm. Cabrita. Um, he, he does make a, I, I think, why I really just connected to this film so intensely is that he's ultimately also arguing for them to just rethink the idea of victory and defeat. Uh, You know, this is really, I think, like a a central point is, you know, some of the soldiers are even talking about that in the various, you know, conversations they're having at the start of the film of, of like victory and, and, and the victorious. And he's sort of just like, well, when's a victory a defeat? Let's talk about that as well. And he makes this big point about basically saying, you know, we often describe victory by by what we've what we've taken, right? What we've taken from somebody, land we've taken, territory we've taken. And he ultimately says that's a defeat. A, a true victory is when we give something, when when we give something to the world, not when we take it away, take it away from people, take it away from the land, you know, like this, again, connecting it to Rasima, this, this mm-hmm. road, right? We say we're giving this road to the people, but really we're taking away 
nature. We're taking away freedom. We're taking away the, the wild liberation of, 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 of the planet before we started conquering and carving and paving, right? So I think that's, that's why I sort of, again, would even kind of go like, yeah, it's, to me, it's like he's, he's, he's arguing like, yeah, Portugal, we've gained, we've lost, we've taken, we've given back. But really the most important thing is, 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 is love, you know, or is <laughs> knowledge, knowledge, you know, like art, right? All those things, like when you can give something, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so perfect then that in Erisima, it it's all about like what is being taken away. And that's even the construction of, of her character as this sort of like uh, archetypal displaced person, right? She has no home. We see her come out of the forest and then she's just like hustling, you yeah. know? And it's like, where is her home? And right. She doesn't necessarily even get in the truck with, with Chow because she has a goal. She's just sort of like, doomed to wander and on the truck on his cool the first truck he has which is better uh and cooler and has all these (laughs) stickers on it and all this like writing on it it says no one escapes destiny and that again i think is laid bare in this film and and i want to bring up again that that source material aspect uh the original sort of book as i understand it is a pocahontas style love story that ends in a baby from a white portuguese man and an indigenous woman oh wow uh, and so once then you you sort of read that and understand that and go okay well like now let's look at this film right because of course what develops is this yeah sort of <laughs> turns into a buddy film you know with uh Irisima and and chow as they drive and and again they are uh opposites right you know in every regard and it's and it's just uncomfortable hearing him extol the virtues of you know of the modern world and all this destruction with just like her sitting there Mm -hmm. you know silently just like this guy going off you know as the amazon fucking burns in the background um I mean, it's it, it is this for her, uh, yeah. This this doomed journey. Yeah, and again, the yeah. irony for her character in that she she describes herself as someone who really just wants to roam. That that sort of like wants the freedom to move wherever she she feels like to explore, to 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 gain experiences, to meet people, to live her life, and that. The movie is basically just a bunch of people like forcing her into certain places, you know, like picking her up and 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 you know dropping her off somewhere and then not giving her a ride back or like yep. you know right. just, or taking her back, you know, make, like re- making her sort of like regress instead of like progress through this landscape. Like that's that's what's so brutal for her is that she actually again sees the road as a symbol of like freedom. And yet her journey on that road is constantly like controlled by all these various people and entities. And those indignities went beyond what happens in the film itself. And I'm glad, Marsh, that you mentioned that the original source material was the sort of Pocahontas love story because I came across the Vincent Canby review of this film in from 1982 in the New York Times, and it features 
one of the like most disgusting sentences <laughs> I've like read oh, in, in like a published film review. Uh, at one point, even when he's pretending that like he understands what this movie is about and is trying to extol its its virtues uh, socially, he has a sentence where he says, "Irasima." A buxom little Indian girl who looks somewhat older than her 14 years, though she has the face of a brown angel. Holy oh, no. shit. Oh, dude. Isn't that gnarly? Lock him up. Whoa. Yeah, that is like, it's just like it's stepping Christ. in like 20 puddles and just drowning. Holy yeah. shit. Holy really bad. Shit. So yeah, Vincent can be canceled yet again. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so those those indignities, right? Like you you feel them very present uh, throughout the film, and uh, now then even thinking reading that and thinking about the climate that this movie was released in and how people might have taken it, it's like oh my good god, god man. Well, uh, at least we can uh, take solace in the fact that uh, it it did give us a great song about roads and driving that has really oh, good yeah. lyrics. Uh, I wrote them down, right? We'll play the song, but uh, there will be the day you'll slowly feel. We're all human machines. A estrada é o tempo, o passado é contramão, vivo estacionado na garagem solidão. And of course, there is a human machine referenced in uh, Non or the Vainglory of Command. But I think, of course, they mean uh, entirely different things here. Sure. In this regard, you know. But still, we'll take any connection we can get. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great moment when the guy was dragging the flag and he got attacked by a Dude, honestly, by like, his own homies. Dude, my my, I, <laughs> there are so many like there are so many like stark images in uh, non or the vainglory of command, but like the one that yeah I think stands out to me like the most is is the mangled man from this battle of Toro that, oh. that we were describing. Uh, this is the guy, man. the 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 knight who's holding the banner, the banner of you know the the emerging nation of Portugal, who is during the battle attacked and has one of his hands chopped off i mean and it is like bloody and yeah. gross and graphic <laughs> it's like brisson splatter dude for sure that's dude. what i was thinking too yeah lost law du lac you know and he holds onto the banner with his other hand right and that's like this this great source of pride but then the other hand gets lopped off and he's still he, hugging the flag he desperately like <laughs> is clutching it with his hands until some guy comes over and bashes him in the head you know and it's like they were all so moved by this you know this this thing and then when we go back to Cabrita, he just says, 
that's just some like frivolous late chivalry bullshit, man. <laughs> like, come on, you know? Like, yeah, it's like the perfect image of of nationalists tr- desperately trying to hold on to to their identity in the face of defeat. Of the flag. Just like no, yeah. no hands. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Look, my yeah, no like, hands. <laughs> Dude, the mangled man, incredible. There's so many moments of like, again, this film just suddenly like surprising you, just surprising you. I know we're all big fans of that as like a cinematic experience of, of, you know, I think there's so many people out there. They, they, they want what they want. They want to go and they, they, you know, again, Peter Watkins and the mono form, they want that conclusion that is already determined in the first 10 minutes of the movie. So they're not troubled, you know, they're, they're not Mm -hmm. surprised. Surprised, but it's like I know that we all seek out, and there's obviously plenty of other people who seek out the the, the movies that will give us something totally, wholly unexpected, unseen, unheard before. And this movie, it's like every fucking two minutes, I was just suddenly looking at something, going like, my god like the 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 conception of all of this in one film by an 82 year old man you know most people are getting put away in a home at that age and like look at the 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 it was one cinematic revelation after another you know i mean there's even this cra- just crazy production design from one scene and one one era to the next like each one had such a very distinct visual quality style and texture it was amazing i was so surprised by that too because like great experimental films it teaches you how to watch it pretty early on and to have this sort of structural expectation where we know all these stops on the road are going to be these various defeats throughout portugal's history but even knowing that that's what was next all the time like that's where we were headed as we went down this road we would return somewhere else it it was constantly surprising. I mean, I had no idea that there was an entire musical sequence right in the middle of this movie. We arrive on this island and there's these little cherubs, these little baby boys with their, their bows and arrows, you know? There's wings yeah. striking all of these beautiful women in the woods. Uh, and it's just this Eden and it's this whole, I mean, I don't even know how to describe <laughs> the musical chunk of this movie. But yeah, it when we have these quote unquote historical reenactments, we enter into opera, we enter into grand theater and the design and the fantasia of all of it is unbelievable. We've got images that look like out of uh, Excalibur, the Borman movie. We've got that woman coming down. She's being carried by these uh, like these birds. Yeah. On some it's like sort massive of swans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's got a clamshell. She's on a clamshell. That's Venus. Right. It's, it's the goddess right. Venus. Because yes, they it, it takes you a minute to realize like what's kind of happening because it is just such a a complete an, an utter shift in everything we've experienced up to this point. Yeah. And it's a W, not an L. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You oh, know, because yeah. again, this goes yeah. back to the to the thing about like what something you know something to give instead of take away. Uh, and I think here Oliveira is putting forth uh, you know this uh, this poem that they're that they're doing here is basically the Aeneid for Portugal. It's just this yeah. classic national epic. And again, it's Oliveira going like, well, what did we give? We give you fucking Vasco da Gama and this sick poem about him. Like, yeah. this is cool. This is good, you know? 
And that's yeah. and that's why it is like it is the most like idealized section of of the film because the 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 narrator who's who's of course describing it to the other soldiers the storyteller himself uh, within De Oliveira's story uh, clearly like does see this as like the greatest achievement along the way was was our exploration like we expanded the world we brought people together and if we did it for the right reasons then yes like it is a massive w for everyone you know we we were some of the great navigators we we sought togetherness the again of course like cosmic joke or irony in all of this is that yeah, it's being told yeah. yeah it's being talked about and told to these soldiers from their officer in the colonial army that is going to suppress an insurrection trying to throw off their chains right that exploration became exploitation right that connection suddenly became disconnection somewhere along the way and that is of course why it is just this this yes this moment of opera this moment of grand artifice uh that that gets lost in the mix and as one of the soldiers says i would prefer nymphs to terrorists (laughs) hell yeah dude hell yeah yeah. I hear that. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there are any W's in Urasima beyond the Great Road tunes. It kind of is like a series of L's oh, like over time. and over again. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not pretty, and it, and it gets even darker. You know, talk about things I didn't expect. I didn't expect her to take a plane ride in this movie. Uh, and no. that's one of the, the most sort of horrific parts of the film is at a certain point, you know, she's been stranded. And there's this guy that you refer to as the pilot or pilot. Uh, And he's like, oh, yeah, I know this American that owns a farm. Let's go check it out. I'll give you, you know, whatever, a a good rate. You ever been in a plane before? Yeah. No, let's go. And, well, we'll fly you back tomorrow, right? And basically she's like... Just let, like, I can't even describe what happens other than, like... She's, like, stranded, brutalized, and then, like, you know, shoved into, like, this, like, group of, like, neo-slaves in this, uh, you know, rotten modern Brazil. Uh, Yeah, they are are flown to this ranch, presumably, to to do sex work, uh, Irasima and, and her friend. And they are, you know, there's this really like brutal moment when they when they get there to this ranch, and they're there. What they see is, of course, not some luxurious American, but uh, a cattle farm and a whole bunch of men who are looking at them um, with with cold sort of you know expectations for for why they're there. But of course, like after that. Uh, we then get to see this this American and how he operates, and he's literally buying people yeah. to work on his farm in this kind of like human trafficking that's taking place along this this road, and and they are not going to get a flight back, but they are then like kind of like press ganged into this like group of of like migrant workers who are going to the highest bidder along the 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 trans Amazonic road. Yeah, it's fucking brutal. It's really brutal. Yeah, I mean, we have sequences of 
Irasima arguing with another woman about splitting a razor blade. Like that's the despair that we have on screen. Yeah, that during these moments. Honestly, like I I wrote down in my notes, like you know, like how bad your life is when when like just having half of a razor blade is is like the difference between you feeling like you're going to like live or die essentially on this path. I mean, it's, it's so horrifying. Like that, that poor woman who loses her razor blade, she's so desperate. She's like, if I don't have half your razor blade, if I don't have anything, like I'm only going to be assaulted. I'm going to be brutalized. Like people are going to do whatever the hell they want to me. Like again, Ryan, your description of it being like apocalyptic is, is, is uh, so apt because like that is the, 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 like, the essence of survival that, that these people have to, to sort of like cling to is just whatever, whatever edge you can get, uh, in this, in this cruel, cruel world. And I feel like the, like the, the raw and rough sort of storytelling aspect of this film makes it even more harrowing. Like at a certain point, she's at this club And all of the sudden, two military guys just grab her, drag her out, and drag her, like, into a space off screen. And then it just cuts to the next day. As if nothing happened, but as if everything happened. There are these moments of elision in this film that are also so startling. I mean, even at a certain point, not to rush to the end, but, like, at a certain point, like, Lord knows how much time has passed in this movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, because of the way it's shot, so much of the violence feels too real i mean there's a moment where she does fight with another woman oh yeah and it's like a brutal fight between the two of them and there's it looks very real yeah they're doing a lot of hair pulling that that looks yeah rough it, it looks like they're really hurting each other and then that coupled with boys and other people who are just around arriving into the frame and looking into the camera it makes it feel more real it doesn't make it feel false you know normally like having someone look into the camera's immersion breaking here having these kids who are around being like wow this is a hell of a fight as a viewer you're like god is this real like this feels like too much well and it's it's great because it does become almost like a a form of indictment for the audience because so many of those people are looking very dispassionately at us, you know, I wouldn't even say like curiously at us. They're just kind of like, oh, there's a camera I'm being filmed. There's two women uh, like fighting brutally in this this dilapidated street. I mean, like, what are you doing? Like, what, how's your day going? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. And I mean. That apocalyptic feeling is really pronounced at the end, not to just jump to the end of Irasima, but it is something I can't shake and I can't stop thinking about because just the indignities that build to get to that moment and then we we have the actor back. Oh, yeah. You know, we've like we've gone through this hell. And then here's Chow. Chow's return. Aren't you Chow Great Brazil? That's what's. <laughs> <laughs> and his performance in the final scene where he sees Irasima now sitting here missing a tooth, just like in rags, totally falling apart, and he doesn't recognize her. And his performance when he realizes who it is after he's been told and he starts putting together the memories in his head of you know, the pretty little thing that he took along with him on his truck. It's even like a guy who's this low 
starts feeling that pain. And he's like, what happened to you? You know, like you used to be prettier. Like what, what went wrong, <laughs> you know? And yeah, the, his, I, there's just something about it. It's like the film feels like it's getting too real. And then we have the actor who's back giving like one of the most convincing performances. And yeah, it's just such a unique way of tying everything up. Yeah, and it ends as, you know, an allegory in the in the worst way possible. This guy uh, just basically insults her and drives away, right? Hammering yeah. home what the movie's all about, right? The exploitation, the dislocation, like all that stuff uh, hammered home by, yeah, like... Uh, and he certainly didn't hide the fact that uh, he, you know, he was going to use her and lose her. He did have uh, all the stickers on the truck of all the women right. he ever had sex with in the truck. Uh, in the hotel, as he describes uh, yes. it. <laughs> but Jesus. But yeah, I mean, it's just fucking brutal. Like, there is no moment of reconciliation. There is no moment of hope. He's with the dictatorship. He's with the capitalists. He's with the road, right? You know. Yeah, he leaves her behind in what he describes as the world's asshole. Yeah, dude. I ca- I just kept seeing this guy too as uh, it was like kind of frightening how how relevant this movie is again to the state of contemporary Brazil of modern Brazil. I guess I'm sure it's. It's been like this for quite a long time, but I just kept seeing this dude as just like the the pinnacle of like the Bolsonaro guys, you yeah. know, like the trucks, you know, and like thinking about the, the the truckers who were like then, you know, protesting Bolsonaro's defeat and blocking the roads. I was like, Chow would have been one yeah. of those fucking 100%. guys, dude. 100%. Absolutely. Like, because yeah. he, and he has all these like patriotic slogans that he spits out and the the bumper stickers right like love yeah. brazil or leave it like there is no there what is it? there was another one that i wrote down it was like um there's no virgins not even the forests like just all these like basically like pro brazil capitalism and like you know fascist dictatorship uh, i mean it's it's crazy dude Absolutely. And I think that very closely connects us, you know, to our other film, because, uh, of course, what No or the Vainglory of Command is also all about is De Oliveira sort of, you know, going off post Salazar and and even situating this film uh, historically uh, as, you know, another Portuguese defeat, you know, Uh, in a time that he experienced, right? 1974. And what we learn, of course, is that the film is ultimately ultimately building up to the end of the colonial wars in Africa. Yes. Through, again, another, like... <laughs> terribly, like, uh, violent and, like, horrific moments, you know? Like, I gotta say, like, you know, if you think about, like, the road film, you know, one of, like, the cliches of the, the, the idea of, like, the road film, especially in that more, like, positive view, is that it's always like, well, it's about the journey, not about the destination. It's about the friends we make along the way. And you gotta say, like, this movie, you make a lot of friends while they're on the road, you know, you really like, you see the, the, the joy of again, like education and, and, and discourse and communication of all these soldiers, even guys who might see things a little bit differently. They are all like 
they're they're laughing, they're talking, they're they're sharing stories, they're they're learning, they're all teaching one another. You you get really like close to these guys, and again, like the big parade, you sur- you suddenly forget why you're here, which is when they get to quote their destination, Cabrito informs them, all right, now we've got to go out on patrol. And when they do, like the movie again, like takes this wild, like shift into again, like abrupt, horrific violence as these Portuguese soldiers walk into an ambush. Yeah, by... Same exact shot as orders, but he had a bigger explosion budget. Yeah, yeah, he did, you know, uh, and like basically like everybody gets blown to shit and, and Cabrito kills a man and has this like this moment of sort of again, like recognition or guilt in the same way that you kind of describe Chow's moment of kind of being like, oh shit, yeah. look what I just did. Like I'm, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this. And then he gets blown away himself, but of course doesn't immediately die. He is then taken in like a, 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 a like body horror sequence to a military hospital where we see oh the effects of, of combat, of war, of all these defeats that he's been describing. And we just have all these like amputees and, and again, like, the, the guy who's just like one oh. eye. Again, you want to talk about like silent era shit? That's like German expressionism. Yeah. The mangled man. The mangled man, dude. The mangled men. I mean, oh my God. There's just like one soldier who's entirely covered in bandages except his eye. And he will go at times into like an extreme close up of the guy's eye, like darting around the room. Like, man, terrifying. I got to say, too, the, uh, the ambush. Uh, you know, you got to wonder, did Dale Oliveira see Predator? Because uh, the unseen enemy <laughs> bit here is really great because when they are ambushed and they're all just lying on this ridge, uh, the quote-unquote terrorists are invisible behind right. bushes. And when they rush through the bushes, they only find an AK. And they go, they carried their wounded. And I'm thinking, just like the 13th warrior, dude, just like tearing and <laughs> shit, dude. Again, another like cosmic irony, which he 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 is definitely intending here, is that like when the, the road trip began, and they were of course like talking about their colonial war, uh, one of the guys like, well, come on, this is, it's not like this is Vietnam or anything like that. And then we get the most Vietnam ambush ever right and the same exact thing would happen in vietnam the vietnamese would carry away the dead so that the americans you know the after action report would only read american casualties it wouldn't read vietnamese casualties so the perception was like we can't beat them we can't defeat them yeah they don't exist right all that exists are our defeats are our losses you know and he even says something at the beginning like you know, well, we we might win the guerrillas. We might win. You know, when he's describing like the Romans, and of course, that whole sequence with the Romans. Now we're we're circling back, which is very like <laughs> circle Delusian. around the tree, yeah, dude. Yeah, the you circle. circle around the tree. Yeah, history is just a bunch of circles, right? Um, like uh, uh, he says, you know, like when they're basically like, hey, these guys are terrorists. These guys are bad news, right? And he goes, well, you know, our history began 
in a way where we might have been described as terrorists. And basically, the film opens the with an scene. ambush, yeah. yeah, where the Romans are marching through Portuguese territory, and suddenly over the ridge comes a, a, a cascade of spears and their great hero, Viriatus, or whatever his name was, you know? It comes full fucking circle again at the ending, which is why when Cabrito's like laying in his bed, delirious, talking about truth and 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 the ultimate explanation, which will 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 is right in front of us, but remains still out of our reach. I mean, it was one of the most devastating endings to a movie I've ever experienced because in this character you saw only good, you saw only hope, you saw you saw the best in us, in humans, in progress, in civilization, and then it just gets snuffed out in this stupid colonial folly. And I think, as you said, you know, it is, of course, his 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 way of kind of putting a bow on the Salazar regime because he dies. The character dies as as the hospital doctor's note and and his like last, you know, title card reveals like on the, the day, day the day the Salazar regime finally fell, you know? So he's right. the last soldier to to die in this particular war, right? The final defeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, the question is like when can a defeat be a victory? Right. And and in this case, the defeat of the Salazar regime, the fall of it, was ultimately a victory. Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I'm never going to forget the ending of that of this movie. I, I, I'm never going to forget most of it. Is it because there's it's, bloody it's, gauntlets at the end? I was, of, yeah, that's what I was just about to <laughs> so say because we were talking about the feeling of ghosts. Yeah, I was literally going to say because then before he passes, the soldier is confronted with a ghost from the past, and it's a man in full armor oh, it's, holding it's a... It's King Sebastian. Yeah. Oh, it's King Sebastian. Yeah, the Virgin Sebastian. The ultimate, the ultimate loser, from what I can tell from this film. You know? the, the Virgin Sebastian versus the Chad Cabrita. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But Sebastian like arrives from from the fog and he's cradling his blade and there's this close up of his gauntlets squeezing tighter on the blade as the blood is running between his fingers. And it's just here we are, what feels like all these men in this room have turned into ghosts because of how these defeats have mangled them. And they keep saying war. This is it. This is all that's left is this death, defeat and feeling like specters, feeling like ghosts. And yeah, that that image of the bloodied gauntlets on the blade is it just like sends chills up my spine. It's an all-timer. Yeah. It's a fucking all-timer. Dude, and even in that same sequence is another one. Like, I mean, folks, like, man, this movie, I cannot describe how, how fucking <laughs> packed this movie is. There's, there's, we then go back again to one of the other defeats, and there, there's that battlefield, and Cabrita is on this battlefield of, of Alcazar, Kibri uh, or whatever, it, I forget what it is, and he's dying on that battlefield as well. And then suddenly in the pile of corpses, some fucking old knight stands up with his armor in tatters <laughs> and he gives the title line essentially yeah. of the movie. The titular speech. <laughs> yeah, the titular speech. And dude, that shit is, I mean, it's just like banger after fucking banger. And when he starts talking about no, and again, I think like 
this is like the, the, again, we talked about like universal. This is where like the specificity kind of gets fucked up because like in Portuguese, it's like non N O N. And so when they're like going in on no, the meaning of no, and they're like describing yeah. the word, they're like, it's closed off. Whichever way you look, you're, you're blocked. Right. N O N in their language, you know? And it's like the worst fucking word, the failure of us all known the vainglory of command. You know, like, dude, it's, it's that guy, the, the knight going ham on nose. Yeah. Is, oh my God. He might as well have his like guts spilling out of his belly. And he's just like, no, it's always a bitter iron. Dude, like, this is all that's yes. left. Art, art cannot soften it. Uh, you know, like flattery cannot soothe it. I mean, it is just like this amazing speech in a film that is Littered with amazing speeches, even yeah. tiny ones, you know. Terrible palavra, um non. Não tem direito nem a vez por qualquer lado que o tomeis. Sempre soa e diz o mesmo. Lédio do princípio para o fim. Ou do fim para o princípio. Sempre none. This goes so hard. Honestly, it's like my new favorite movie, I gotta say, really. Like, I was just so blown away by everything. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Dear God. Um, both of these movies are really remarkable. Um... But yeah, I this was uh, this Oliveira film really, really took hold of me. I'm never gonna shake this movie. Uh, may even watch it again this weekend, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the it's the heaviest shit I've I've fucking seen in a long time. You know, like, and it makes me want to like commit to finally like doing a dive with Oliveira, um, especially some of this '90s stuff, just to see like what he was preoccupied with in his '80s, and then like check in on other phases of his career. What a remarkable figure in the history of cinema. Yeah, uh, he made a whole film called The The Fifth Empire, which is about Dom Sebastiao. By the way, Sebastiao, oh. both films. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's other shit. He made like a Columbus movie, too. I knew about like, the Columbus movie, but uh, I haven't seen it. All, the, all that shit. So he, you know, there is like overlap uh, with this. I haven't seen that stuff. I mean, this, is, this is like a name for me that... I've I've seen in so many circles of the things I care about in cinema spoken with like reverence, you know, like well, the the really the greatest filmmaker ever and is now you Manuel de you immediately got it your first try. I <laughs> do, yeah, you know, I'm like I'm sold on it, like I get it, you know, and and I feel ashamed. I feel I feel I feel great shame, you know. When is it? When is also a victory a defeat? And the victory of me watching Non is also a defeat because I realize. I have so much more, you know, like to see what a failure. That's a good feeling, though, when it feels like, you know, we've exhausted moments in history of cinema. You feel like we've got like a foundational knowledge and then you get something like this come across and you're just like, oh, my God, like this. How has this thing just like not been in front of my eyes before? Gives you hope. Great job. Great Great job. Yeah. Good roads. Well, rough roads. Good, but good roads. Rough for roads, me. but it was it was a good road trip. You know, it was it was a bumpy one. Uh, but it is it's you know like all great road trips. It's uh, 
there are moments in them that I'll I'll never forget. <laughs> you'll you'll hold on to yeah. to moments from those trips, and it's it's one of those things where like like announcing a gauntlet theme. You have an idea of of where it might go, but as much as you you try to plan, you never know where the road's going to take you. And I could never have guessed that this is where <laughs> this is where we were headed this week. So I I, yeah. I commend you. Thought you we both were going to be for... driving around Germany with Vim vendors, but uh, <laughs> yeah. not a chance, my man. Yeah. I got to ask too for the listeners, you know, since they're they're you know tuning into a, a series, uh, you know, an, an episode on the road trip. I got to ask both of you, what's your what's your go to road trip snack? If you're hitting the road, you know, and you got a pit stop, what do you what are you grabbing from the gas station? Uh, shamefully, I am a combos man. Combos, what kind? Ah. What kind? Well, uh, pizza. No pizza, know? but yeah. uh, I'll take any kind. As long as it's the pretzel uh, outside, I don't take that that non pretzel shit. But yeah. you know, I um, you know, get a little savory, a little sweet. I love the <laughs> special little boy. Yeah, the Garden Harvest Sun Chips that I have like a very vivid memory of being at your bachelor party, Marsh, and like buying those chips and realizing it like wasn't everybody's speed. And I ended up eating an entire bag like in one <laughs> sitting, like out on the back porch. Like I ate those chips and it, it really like desecrated my tongue because you, you're not supposed to have that much no. of that powder no. on your mouth <laughs> in like one go. Not great, uh, but great on the road. And then I do really love um, the Haribo Twin Snakes, the one sweet one sour oh yeah um always pick that up from the gas station i mean that's a go-to movie snack too but that is it's something that's nice to have on the road yeah i'm a i'm a i'm a i like the gotta do the i gotta also do the the sweet and the the salty so i will i'll go with skittles any kind really but but uh, if i got to i'll just go og really uh and then jack link jack link's beef like beef jerky sure of course, yeah, skills of course. and beef jerky. Molly has really perfected the road sandwich because we so so often would make them in the car like to save time. You know, like oh, let's just make the sandwich like while we're driving. Now we have a tray that's dedicated exclusively for road sandwiches, so she's not spilling mayo and lettuce Damn. all over the car. Yeah, it's awesome. Road trip tech <laughs> got it down to a science. Well, these were uh, our our films and snacks. Uh, um, Ryan, when you think about the road trip film, uh, particularly, I guess, foreign road trip films, yeah. what comes to your mind? There's so many, but I've got two that, that came to my mind. Uh, one being just a favorite, which is uh, Abbas Kiarostami's Taste of Cherry, which is another Ooh. sort of doomed... A rough road trip. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a rough one, a bit of a doomed one, but also one of the most beautiful I've ever seen. I don't know if the film even needs introduction, but for those who, who haven't seen Taste of Cherry, it, it's a Don't look up Ebert's review. Yeah, certainly don't, don't look up... Yeah. Just like a classic misread of, of, of one of the great movies. CIA. Uh, but yes, it's, it, it's a man who's taking his final road trip who plans on committing suicide, and he picks up a lot of people... Along the way, and I don't want to say he's like looking for answers so as to not commit suicide, but you know, people pick up on it, and we get some some really deeply philosophical but beautiful conversations about life and why it's worth still driving down the road instead of instead of parking at the end of it. And in general, you know, Kiarostami, he was a fan of the road. A lot of his movies uh, feature the road pretty prominently. But it's funny, I the other film I'm going to recommend is one I don't think I've seen. 
since I was 18 and I barely remember it at all, but I was thinking of it again because of watching No or the Vainglory of the Command, um, which is Louis Bunuel's film The Milky Way. Oh, yeah. Which is sort of a road movie. It's, you know, there's no cars in it, of course, but it is a road trip of two pilgrims who are traversing from, if I remember correctly, from France to Spain. And along the way, they're encountering different moments of Christian history and heresies. And it's time itself becomes quite anachronistic throughout all these stops along the way. So in that sense, that, that to me, that's like a road movie that really feels aligned with Noah the Vainglory. Yeah. Well, um, from what I understand, De Oliveira was a big, big fan of Buñuel. Really, I'm sure. Really, I'm uh, sure. I think they I were friends, it. even if I'm not mistaken. Sure, why not? Probably they're, they're, they're neighbors. neighbors yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Those are those are two road trips I'd recommend, and I'll probably go and revisit uh, Milky Way now because I'm yeah I'm realizing it's been uh, at least ten years since I've wow, seen let's it. Let's go. Um, yeah, but um, yeah. Thanks for thanks for the ride, Marsh. How can we repay you for the for the gas money? What's the topic next week? Well. Kyle's been out of town all week, which means uh, I don't get to watch Jeopardy. You know, that's one of the things that that we love is is game shows, and certainly in particular, uh, you know, a religious devotion to Jeopardy. And so I've been thinking, you know, God, I've I've been missing the game show aspect of my life, and I want you to bring me. Movies about or featuring, heavily featuring, game shows. Ooh. All right. I'll be sure to hit the buzzer on time to <laughs> get my answer in. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Gauntlet Movies or send us an email at gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Tchau, Brasil Grande.